Hello, Epic. How's everybody today? And we realize that the majority of our folks are watching online today. We just want to say to everybody that's tuning in virtually today, thanks for checking out Epic Church. And I'm really excited about today uh, because we're in part two of a brand new sermon series that we started last week called Deadly Beliefs. We're going to get to that uh, in just a second. But I know there's a lot going on in our world today. There's a lot going on in our country today. And uh, I just want to read everybody something today as we get started. How many of you believe that there's power in the Word of God? Anybody believe that? All right. I believe that 100%. And many of you do as well. I hope you guys that are tuning in online today believe that. Let me just read you something uh, that I was reading this weekend that just really encouraged me uh, as we think about what we're going through in our world today. It's in Psalm 91. This is not going to come up on the screens, by the way. So just listen uh, to what the Word of God has to say today. Psalm 91 in verse 1 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High, that's a reference to God, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and listen and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Like Tim said a moment ago, God's in charge and God's in control. And we can find our shelter, we can find our security, we can find our protection uh, in the most high God. And the reason we gather together on Sunday morning is to, is to worship him because he is God and because he is in charge and he is in control. So I would encourage you, like Tim mentioned a moment ago, throughout the day today, let's make this a, a day of prayer in our nation, in our country. Scripture tells us is that, it, it, that if we will humble ourselves and pray, that God will hear our prayers, he will forgive our sins, and he will heal our land. And I believe God's going to do something supernatural because the local church is committed to the word of God and, and to prayer. Um, I don't know about um, your perception of what all happens at Epic on Sunday morning. Normally in our three services, especially the communicators that are on stage uh, on, our, on a regular consistent basis, we kind of just have to kind of pace ourselves because um, three services uh, can kind of take a lot out of you mentally and emotionally and physically, and that just kind of comes part uh, with, uh, of the territory and our calling. But today we're only having one service, so if it's okay with you, I'm just going to kind of let it rip if that's all right, okay? And we're going to have a good time today, and uh, we're going to go deep in God's Word, and I believe God's just really going to do um, some neat stuff uh, in all of our lives today, all right? So maybe if you're tuning in online, let me encourage you to turn up the volume a little bit, and let's just dig into part two of Deadly Beliefs and see what God wants to teach us um, today, okay? So let me recap last week for just a little bit. If you missed it, and if you missed it, let me encourage you to go to our website and check out part one of our Deadly Beliefs series. Here's basically what we learned last week. There are two statements that Trent made that I think we need to really think about as we go throughout this whole series because it's the foundation and the premise for, for what we're talking about. And uh, for me, there were two takeaways from last week. The first takeaway was this right here. What we believe matters. 
What we believe matters. And then the second takeaway from last week was kind of our bottom line theme. It was this idea right here. If we don't live believing the truth, then we're going to die believing a lie. You know what? I can sincerely believe today that gravity does not exist. But you know what? If I get up on this rooftop and I step off the side of the building, what am I going to learn really quickly? That gravity exists, okay? And it's not going to be very good for me, all right? So what we believe matters. And if we don't live believing the truth, then we'll die believing a lie. There are two questions that I want us to consider today as we dig into part two of Deadly Beliefs. The first question is this right here, and this is just kind of for everybody in the audience. So if you believe this, I just want to kind of see a show of hands here for just a second. How many of you believe that evil exists in our world today? Let me see your hand, okay? I would dare say almost 100% of the people in attendance today, uh, that, that is your declaration today. All you got to do is turn on the TV today when you get home and listen to the 24-hour news cycle, and you can ask absolutely know that evil exists in our world today. Which brings me to my second question. This is what I hope to to help us understand today from God's word is why does evil exist in our world today? If it exists and we know that it does, we believe that it does, then, then why does evil exist in our world today? Well, the short answer is this right here. The short answer is that we all want to be our own God. And what I want to do today is I want to, I want to do my best to try to unpack where that mentality and where that attitude comes from, from a, from a biblical perspective. Uh, I want to introduce you to somebody today who's going to come up on the screen in just a moment. But uh, my oldest son, Stephen, um, and, and I collaborate a lot when we get to, uh, to talking and, and, and especially in messages and sermon series. He works with this church in South Carolina. He does a lot of teaching to students there. And, and a lot of times we'll just talk a lot about uh, ideas and, and passages of scripture. And he's real creative and I'm not. So I kind of bounce things off of him and he kind of asked me some questions and we work together. So I called Stephen last week and I said, hey, buddy, I said, will you help me unpack a little bit? or help me try to kind of set attention uh, about this idea that we all want to be God. And uh, Stephen's a, a millennial, so he's very well connected. He's into all kind of, uh, of media platforms and that kind of thing. And, and I asked Stephen, I said, man, would you just shoot me a little, little video clip to help me set this tension about this idea of, uh, of how people want to be their own God. So he shot a little video and he's going to talk about probably one of the most famous um, uh, people um, that everybody will be familiar with, probably at some level, um, who assassinated President John F. Kennedy uh, back in the 60s. So watch this little clip and uh, pay attention to kind of the attitude and the tension that we're going to kind of set up today. And then we're going to dig into God's word, okay? What's up, guys? My name is Steven. And as we continue with week two of your new Deadly Beliefs series, today we're going to talk about the idea and the danger um, of uh, believing that we can become our own God. 
Last week, Trent talked about um, the power of beliefs and how it is important what we believe. And I think that is so true because what we believe not only shapes us, but it affects the people around us. And it also shapes the way that we view the world and what is going on around us at all times. Um, and today I'm going to talk about one of my all-time favorite um, things, and that is true crime media. Um, when it comes to uh, consumable media, whether it be podcasts or documentaries or whatever the case is, um, I love true crime. In 2014, um, the podcast Serial came out and it really brought the genre to the forefront and gave us an insight into to what these people who have committed some of these major crimes in human history, what they were thinking and what has gone on in their minds. And there have been a lot of series that have uh, spawned off of this, whether it be podcasts or whether it be documentaries or whether it be even series. Netflix released a series called Mindhunter a few uh, years ago, and it was about um, the the guy who coined the term serial killer because he was doing these case profiles on all these guys and trying to figure out what made them tick. And I think I can draw a little bit of parallels between some of these major criminals throughout history. And I think that it's that they had a big power complex. A person that comes to the forefront of my mind is Lee Harvey Oswald, the guy that assassinated John F. Kennedy. Um, he was a part of our American military, but ultimately his end game was to become part of the Soviet Union, rise up through the ranks of the communist society to become a leader. Because he thought if I was a leader of the communist society, then people would be here to serve me, that I would be the leader of an entire nation and that people would... Um, be at my will at all times. And this was something that was instilled into Lee Harvey Oswald from a very young age and something that he held tight to even to the day that he got arrested for the assassination of the president because he thought he was doing the right thing in his own fantasy world. But this idea that we can become our own God has been instilled in us from literally the beginning of mankind. You know, the first lie that was ever told to Adam and Eve was that, you know what, you can eat the fruit because uh, God just doesn't want you to be as powerful as him. And so this traces all the way back to the beginning of mankind. And, and this is contrary to, to, to what God wants for us. You know, God has laid out guidelines for us in our lives so that we can live the very best life possible at all times. Um, and so I hope that as you listen to the sermon today and continue to listen to the series, that you'll be able to gain a lot out of it, a lot of practical things that can help you in our life or in your life and, uh, and continue to grow from um, the teachings of the rest of this series. So uh, thank you for listening to me and enjoy this week's message. I know that's kind of an extreme case, and I don't know if there's anybody here today that's going to go out and say, you know what, I'm going to assassinate a world leader, okay? But what I want us to help us understand is that that attitude and that mentality had an origination somewhere. And we're going to find out from Scripture today where that attitude that we can be our own God originated in eternity past, uh, Trent told us last week that this particular series was going to take us deep into God's word. And it was going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. So I hope that you're ready for a, for a big gulp today, okay? Because we're going to go deep into God's word. And, and what I want to try to do today is unpack this idea of the lie that we believe that we can be God. And where that attitude originates from and, and, and what that uh, kind of looks like in our, in our, in our daily, day-to-day um, life. This is a lie that people have believed for thousands of years. 
So what I want to do is I want to take us back to around the 500 BC, specifically around the time period of 580 BC or so when the Babylonian Empire was the dominant world power at that particular time. And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was on his throne. And in that day and time, they had taken God's people, the nation of Israel, into Babylonian captivity. And they had dispersed people or they had ran people out of the capital city of Jerusalem, and those that survived the onslaught by the Babylonian Empire were taken into captivity, and they were indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture uh, in the the 500 uh, BCs. Um, During that particular period of time, there was a city that kind of came to prominence on the world scene, and it was known as the city of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. So I want to show you a little map that would kind of help us understand in terms of where Tyre was located in relation to some modern day countries uh, today. You'll see the nation of Israel kind of right there in the middle of the screen. Uh, Just to the north, you would see on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea uh, would be this, this seaport city of, of Tyre. Obviously, you see Egypt here. You see Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Greece. So, so it was kind of centrally located uh, to the known world at that particular time. And here's what we know uh, about the city of, of Tyre. What we know about Tyre is that God, during this particular period, pronounced a judgment against this particular city because of its involvement with the Babylonian Empire to take the nation of Israel into captivity and to kill Israelites, and to to destroy the capital of Israel, which was Jerusalem. And the reason they participated with the Babylonian Empire is because they would have been a rival city with the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has always been, and still is today, a very wealthy and prosperous city globally. And Tyree knew and understand, matter of fact, the prince of Tyree, we're going to see that in just a minute, realized and knew that if, that if, if, if his city was going to be a major player on the world scene, especially as it related to trade, that Jerusalem would have to be destroyed. So they participated with the Babylonians to destroy the nation of Israel. And as a result, God said, I'm not going to let you get away with that. And what God did is he pronounced a judgment on the city of Tyre, specifically the prince or the leader of Tyre. And we find that prophecy in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And that's where we're going to turn today. So if you have a copy of the Bible, I would encourage you to find the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Uh, If you don't have a copy, we would encourage you uh, to click on your smartphone or your tablet. If you don't have either, that's okay. Uh, We've got technology and we're going to show you some scripture on the screen uh, today. Okay, so we're going to begin in Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, and we're going to learn about this prophecy that God made to the prince of Tyre, the leader of this uh, dominant uh, world power uh, city at that particular time, okay? And listen to what the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28 in verse 1. It says, then this message came to me, that would be Ezekiel, all right, from the Lord, son of man, God says to Ezekiel, give the prince of Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. In your great 
pride you claim, what's the next four words? I am a God. In your great pride, you proclaim, I am a God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea, but you are only a man and not a God, though you boast that you are a God. You regard yourself as wiser than Daniel. That would be the Daniel of the Daniel of the lion's den because Daniel would have been one of the, the, the young Jewish uh, uh, young men who was taken into Babylonian captivity and he was known for his wisdom in this particular period. And you think no secret is hidden from you. With your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth, gold and silver for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich and your riches have made you very proud. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are as wise as a God, I will bring against you a foreign army, the terror of the nations. They will draw their swords against your marvelous wisdom and they will defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die in the heart of the sea pierced with many wounds. Will you then boast that I am a God to those who kill you? To them you will be no God, but you will be merely a man. Now here's this great world leader. Uh, during a period of time where he participated in the dominance of the, uh, of the known world at that particular time. This passage of scripture tells us that he had wealth. This passage of scripture tells us that he had wisdom. And this passage of scripture tells us that he had, he had power. But he believed that he could be his own God. He believed that his city was indestructible. He could believe that he could be the master of his own fate. He believed that nobody or not anything could ever, ever come against him or could stand against him. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I know some people like that in our world today. I know some people who think, they're better than everybody else because maybe they're smarter than everybody else. I know some people today who think that their money and their wealth uh, can buy them anything and affords them opportunities that, uh, that other people aren't, don't have access to. I know people who, are, uh, who, who in and of themselves think that they can be God in the sense that they're in charge of their own fate. They're in charge of their own life. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does or what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says. They're going to do their own thing. And, and they have the power to control every aspect, aspect of, of their life. And what I want to show us today is that this attitude that, uh, that, that results is called pride. Now, let me, let me uh, unpack something for you just a little bit when we talk about pride today, okay? Uh, I, when you talk about pride and being proud, those are two different things, okay? In other words, if, if you're proud uh, of your children because of their achievements in school or because of their achievements in sports, that, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a healthy uh, uh, kind of a pride, all right? But when I'm talking about this idea of being prideful, I'm talking about an arrogance or a boastfulness is what the word is used in Ezekiel 28, a boasting that says, 
I'm better than anybody else. I'm my own God. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care who it hurts. I don't care who gets in my way. And that was the attitude that God was addressing uh, with the prince of, of Tyree. So when we talk about pride today, we're talking about a boastful attitude that says, I'm it. Look at me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be who I want to be. And I don't care who likes it, who doesn't like it, who I step on or, or whose life it impacts. And you know what? At some level, because of the nature of our sin nature as human beings, we all tend to be a little selfish and a little prideful, don't we? I mean, I've been there. There's been times in my life where I've wanted people to notice Pastor Brian, where I've wanted people to notice um, me. And, and, and I, have, I have shown off in, in, in some things and some areas in my life uh, that I wanted people to take notice of because I wanted them to pat me on the back and I wanted them to say, oh, what a great guy he is. And then Ezekiel does something interesting here. And here's where, uh, we gotta, here's where we're going to go a little bit um, deep today. Because the question I have is, how could somebody who was so smart, somebody who was so gifted, somebody who was so wealthy, and somebody who had so much power, how could they get it so wrong? So what we got to do is we got to understand the next part of Ezekiel chapter 28. And the next part of Ezekiel 28 is really a revelation that God gives to us about where this spirit of pride, this attitude that we can be our own God, where that originated and why you and I today still struggle with it as human beings. So let me read it to you real quick, and, and, and then I want to make a couple observations real quick about what this passage of Scripture is all about, okay? So now in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number 11, here's what God says. God says, then this fur further message, or Ezekiel says, then this further message came to me from the Lord. Now he's going to talk about somebody else. The person that he's going to talk about here is a guy by the name of Lucifer, all right. Lucifer uh, in eternity past uh, was a was a great angel that God created. But you know what? He thought he could be his own God. And because he thought he could be his own God, God kicked him out of heaven and he became the arch enemy of God. And by the way, he's your enemy and he's my enemy today. And the Bible calls him the devil or the Bible calls him Satan. There are many other names that he has for himself. But, but what Ezekiel is going to do is he's going to reveal in verses 11 through 17, the attitude that the ruler of Tyree had and the reason that he thought the way that he did. Is anybody confused yet? All right, if you're with me, say uh-huh. Okay, all right, so we're going to look at the attitude and, and where it originated in eternity past, okay? So here we go, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number 11. Ezekiel says, Then this further message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, sing this funeral song to the king of Tyree. Stop right there for just a minute, okay? Anytime there's a funeral song being sung, all right, it's done. Something big has happened. 
okay? He says, sing this funeral song to the king of Tyre. Notice the difference in the, uh, in, in the name, all right? In verses 1 through 10, he talks about the prince of Tyre. That's a reference to a human leader of the, of the city of Tyre, all right? Here, he talks about the king of Tyre, who was a reference to Satan himself, the enemy, who was the attitude behind the way that the king of Ty or the, the prince of Tyre uh, uh, boasted and was prideful about himself. So he says, uh, sing this funeral song to the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. And then he unpacks it. He says, you were a model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. Look here. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You know why people have a hard time understanding the fall of man and the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Because it's hard to make sense of the talking serpent. And right here, Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us that when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, he was relegated to the domain of the world and he showed up in Eden. Look at what he says. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted and set in finest gold. They were given to you, look here, on the day that you were created. Here's something we really need to understand about the enemy. The enemy, Satan himself, was a created being. You know what? why that's important? That's important because that means there's no way he can ever be equal to the creator. There's no way he can ever be more powerful or all-powerful than God himself because he was a created being. And by the way, this description of the enemy... All right. Satan is not the little devil with a red with a red coat and a tail and a pitchfork and, and horns on his head. OK, this picture tells us that he he's he's he was a beautifully created being. Another pastor scripture in the Bible says that he is an angel of light. In other words, he's very deceptive. And he says there, on the day you were created, I adorned you and I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the mountain of God and you walked among the stones of fire. Most theologians believe that Lucifer, when God created him as a mighty angel, was actually one of the main worship leaders in the throne room of God himself. Can you imagine that? Having that kind of access to God and choosing to think that you could be God. See, God gives us a free will. I believe God gave Lucifer a free will because he chose to disobey God. And he chose to get outside of the boundaries with which God created him and he became prideful and he became boastful and God pronounced judgment on him. And as a result of that, you and I have to deal with that same attitude today. You were blameless in all you did, verse number 15 says, from the day that you were created until the day that evil was found in you. You know what that evil manifested itself in as? As an attitude of pride, as an attitude of arrogance. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. 
So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire, and your heart was filled with pride. Because of all your beauty, your wisdom was corrupted by your love and splendor. So I threw you to the ground and I exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. See, the prince of Tyree developed an attitude of pride because he was influenced by the enemy. And he thought that he could control his own fate. And by the way, the pronouncement of judgment against the city of Tyree, if you go on and finish reading, you'll find that it was one that God said, you'll never be reestablished and people will never hear of you again. You know what? Nobody ever has. The reason this is important for us to understand, because like Stephen said in the video, we've we've all believed a, a lie for over 6,000 years of human history. And it began with an, an act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose to believe the serpent, who was Satan himself, who convinced them that they could be like God, that they could be their own God, that God was, that God was holding out on them in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Listen to how Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verses 12 through 15, uh, 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 kind of uh, parallel to Ezekiel chapter 28. Look at what he says here. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. That's a reference to Lucifer. You have been thrown down to the earth. You who destroyed the nations of the world, that would be Tyree included, for you said to yourself, what's the next two words? I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above the God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, God says, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. See, it was pride that caused Lucifer. We know him as Satan today. We know him as the enemy of God. We know him as the enemy uh, uh, of every believer in Christ that that caused him to, to be expelled from heaven. And now the Bible says his domain is planet Earth. And the Bible says he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what he does is he entices us to believe that we can be our own God. He tries to convince us that we can be self-sufficient in and of ourselves. He tries to make us believe that we don't need anybody else and we can do it all by ourselves. We certainly don't need God or anything that he has to offer us. Let me just read you the account of how that played out in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So here's where we have that talking serpent. Now, this is a whole nother message for a whole nother time, maybe even a whole nother series. But I believe before the fall of man that animals at some level could communicate and talk with human beings. Um, So here is the enemy taking the form of a serpent. Okay, 
He was the shrewdest of all the animals, the scripture says. And, and, and he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat because God said you must not eat it or touch it. And if you do, you will die. And listen to what Satan whispers in her ear. You won't die. Verse number four, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that when your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and look here and you will be like God. That sounds attractive, doesn't it? That sounds like something that, that I would want. Knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So look here. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Two, and at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame and their nakedness. And in that moment, in that moment, man fell from grace and believed a lie that in and of themselves, we could be self-sufficient. We could be self-supporting, that we would have no need of anybody or anything, especially a relationship with the God of the universe. And that attitude originated in eternity past when a created angel who had access to the throne room of God, who led worship in the throne room of God, decided for himself, I want to be God. I want to be in charge. I want to control fate and, and, and destiny. I want to be sovereign. And God said, that's not the way that it works. And for thousands of years, we've been believing the lie that we can be God. So if I could kind of summarize uh, a little bit about what we've seen in Scripture, it would be like this right here. Pride causes us to believe that the created is equal to the creator. Pride causes us to believe that the created is equal to the creator. You see, Lucifer was a created angel. We are a created people. And as a created people, we can never be equal to the creator because God himself is supreme. He is the most high. He is the most excellent. His ways are not our ways. He knows way more than we would ever, ever imagine or dream. And the reality is, is that the created is not equal to the creator. In other words, we can never, ever, ever be God. We can never, ever, ever be God. Listen to what God says about pride in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18. It says, pride goes before, what's the next word? Destruction and a haughtiness. That's an arrogance before a fall. Leave that verse right there for just a second, guys. Isn't that what happened to the prince of Tyree in the city of Tyree? Yes. 
Isn't that what happened to Lucifer in eternity past when he got kicked out of heaven? Yes. Isn't that what happened to to Adam and Eve in in the Garden of Eden when they chose to believe the lie that they could be God? Yes. So you know what? That proverb is absolutely true. And because God's word is true and timeless for you and I today, you and I need to understand and recognize that this attitude of pride will always, always, always lead to a destructive attitude of a a difficult time in our life. I've seen it happen time and time again in 25 years of ministry. I had a friend a few years ago who was a very wealthy young man. He had one of the largest businesses uh, in, in the nation that specialized in, uh, in, uh, in doing some things that not a lot of other companies d- did. And he really believed that his wealth and his money could control everything and anything in his life. And you know what? A few years after, uh, after I met him, his mother got sick with a liver disease. And she went down here really fast. And it took her life. And my friend started spiraling out of control because he really and truly thought that he could buy the doctors that he needed to buy. And he had enough money to get the the, the best treatment uh, wherever he needed to get it that he could save his mother's life. You know what? That didn't happen. Fast forward another couple years. His father developed a, a disease. Started getting sick. It wasn't long before his father passed away. And my friend basically went from being one of the wealthiest people that I've ever known in my life who could go anywhere he wanted to go at any time he wanted to do it. He could get on a plane and fly literally anywhere in the world. Uh, Had season tickets to major sporting events. Had a beautiful home on the lake with all the toys that you could ever imagine or dream. And he really, really believed that he could control his own fate and that he could keep bad things from happening uh, in, in his life. And I wish that I could tell you today that, that my friend kind of saw the light, so to speak, and really understood that that attitude that he had was not the right attitude for him to have. Instead of having an attitude of pride and and, and, and instead of having an attitude of pride, God wanted him, to, I think, to, to humble himself. And you know what? As a result, he's homeless today. Uh, he has a mental illness. And he has no family. He doesn't want anything to do with anybody. And he's lost it all. And it all is because of pride and a boastfulness and a haughtiness. And the bottom line is this, that pride got Satan kicked out of heaven, but it's pride that will keep us from getting into heaven if we think we can be God. Pride got Satan kicked out of heaven, but it's pride that will keep us from getting into heaven if we think we can be God. So what are we supposed to do with pride? Thankfully, God gives us the answer. He gives us the antidote to pride. Let me just read you a, a, a great passage of scripture in James chapter uh, number four. The New Testament part of your Bibles, Hebrews, James chapter four says this. 
It says, God opposes the proud. Didn't he do that with the prince of Tyree? He opposed him. Didn't he do that with Lucifer? He opposed him. Didn't he do that with Adam and Eve? He opposed him. God has a track record of opposing the proud and the boastful. It says, God opposes the proud, but it doesn't stop there. Here's the good news. But he gives grace to the who? To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So what does he say? So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands. Boy, that's timely for today, isn't it? (laughs) Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for loyalty is divided between God and the world. Can I just tell you something right here? God's never going to play second fiddle to anything else in our lives. God's never going to play second fiddle to anything else in our lives. And anything that we put in front of God in our relationship with him, the Bible calls that an idol. And you know where that spirit of idol comes from? It comes from an attitude of pride that says, I don't need God. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the Bible says in verse number 10, though, but if we humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up in honor. So what do those verses tell us? Those verses tell us that the opposite of pride is humility. The opposite of pride is humility. We must humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need you. God, I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. God, I'm tired of, of trying to figure things out in and of my own strength, in and of my own limited wisdom and and perspective. And God, I I want you to lift me up. In order for that to happen, Scripture tells us we have to humble ourselves before God and give him control of our life. As I was going back over some some of this uh, in the last couple of days, I just wrote something down in my notes, and it's not going to come up on the screen But this is just something I feel like the Lord kind of showed me. And I wrote it down because it just really drives the point home. I said this right here. Pride repels God's grace, but humility attracts it. Pride repels God's grace, but humility attracts it. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And I realize that we've kind of gone a little bit deep today in God's word. But the bottom line is, God is waiting on us to draw near to him. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So let me ask you a question today in the quietness of this moment. Maybe if you're tuning in online, wherever you're watching today online, can I just ask you today, um, is there a spirit of pride in your life that is keeping you from humbling yourself before God? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your personal business. Or maybe it's your job, your career. Is there, a, is there a pride in your life that is keeping you 
from humbling yourself before God. And if God shows you something today, would you just be bold and courageous enough to say, God, you know what? I know this is not right. And I know this is the wrong attitude. And if I continue to have this attitude, this attitude is going to lead uh, me to a place where I never want to go. Pride leads to destruction and a haughtiness to a fall. I don't think God wants any of us to stumble and fall in life. The way that we keep from stumbling and falling in life is to draw near to God so he can draw near to us. So in the quietness of these next few moments, I want to ask you if you would have a conversation with God. And maybe you're here today and and you believe that you don't need God. That, you know, life is about you and... um, You're just going to live your life the way that you want to live your life. You're going to do your own thing, and whatever happens is going to happen. Can I just tell you, that's not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is that you would be in a close personal relationship with him, that you would humble yourself before him on a daily basis and let him lead you and guide you to experience the best life possible. And if you've bought into this idea that people have been believing for thousands of years that you can be your own God, then the enemy has deceived you. He has accomplished his task in your life. But today you can decide to humble yourself before God, draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, uh, Haley and our team are going to come and lead us in one more song. And it's one of my favorite songs. It talks about coming to the altar. That place of worship, that place of surrender, that place where where we change our attitude about who God is and about who we are. And we surrender and we submit ourselves to him afresh and anew. And if you need to do that today, take advantage of this last song and surrender your heart and your mind and your will to God Humble yourself before him. You say, oh, Pastor Brian, how do I do that? Here's what you say. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I want to humble myself before you. I want to submit myself to you. Let you lead me and guide me to be everything that you created me to be. And if that's the attitude of your heart, if that's the prayer of your heart, the Bible says God will draw near to you. And he'll become a friend to you who is closer than anybody you've ever had in your life. So God, I come to you today as best I know how on behalf of every single person who's watching online and who's in attendance today physically. Um, Lord, we just thank you for the true word that you give us that we can look at every single week. And God, you reveal more of yourself to us. And Lord, I know today has been a little bit Uh, different and it's been a little bit maybe um, uh, deeper than uh, uh, God some of us can uh, can even imagine Lord I know it's been hard for me to comprehend Lord things that are written in in the book of Ezekiel but God I thank you that you give us truth that Lord we can look outside of ourselves like Trent said last week to to discover truth And Lord, we know that it's not your will that anybody should perish and be separated from you for all of eternity. 
And God, if there's an attitude of pride or boastfulness or arrogance in anybody's life here today, God, would you just break that today? Would you just break it and... uh, Help us to surrender ourselves to you afresh and anew. Lord, you make us a promise that if we will humble ourselves before you, that you will draw near to us. And God, we can be in close personal relationship with you. Lord, we know we're never going to be perfect on this side of eternity. That's why we need you. That's why it's important for us to spend time with you every single day, to get to know you at a deeper level, to go deep in your word and and in conversation and prayer. and God, fellowship with other Christ followers. And spend time together sharpening each other. And encouraging each other. And praying for each other. And loving each other. And helping each other. Um, so God, accomplish what you want to accomplish in this place today. Protect us from a spirit of pride and arrogance that says we don't need you. We thank you for the examples that you give us that we can learn from and understand what it really means to be in a right relationship with you. So God, whatever you want to do in this place today during this last song, may you have freedom and liberty to speak to hearts, to change minds. Lord, we have courage to surrender ourselves to you afresh and anew today. For it's all these things I pray and ask in your name. Amen.